Today on Lifelong Learning, we're discussing workplace culture and its impact on health outcomes. Sometimes seemingly inconsequential issues, such as culture or history, can make or break the effectiveness of an educational program. In particular, we will look at strategies that can improve the effectiveness of interprofessional education by ensuring culture and workplace issues are taken into consideration. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and with me today is Dr. Simon Kitto, Director of Research, Continuous Professional Development, Assistant Professor in the Department of Surgery, and Education Scientist at the Wilson Center at the University of Toronto. Welcome, Simon. We're glad to have you here today. Thank you very much for having me. So the famous writer and management consultant Peter Drucker once said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. What's your, what's your perspective on culture? So I think in healthcare, we can say that culture eats strategy for breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner, and anything we eat in between. The issue of culture in uh, healthcare is a problematic one. We often use it in an anecdotal kind of way. Uh, we tend not to define it terribly well. And in my field, as a trained medical sociologist, we have a very particular understanding of culture, and in particular within healthcare itself. So there are two aspects of culture as a concept that we need to be mindful of. The first one being value systems. So these are beliefs that individuals hold and groups hold within the healthcare sector uh, that they gather those belief systems through a socialization process during their training and these things direct their group behavior in the healthcare system both amongst themselves between healthcare professionals and with patients so culture is a very concrete thing and not an abstract concept the stakeholders you've mentioned obviously in the whole system there there's a lot of differences in the cultural way they're thinking. How do, how do you bring them together? So the issue around bringing them together is, first of all, we have to show how far apart they are. So we tend to, particularly in healthcare organisations, we tend to look at our healthcare team problems from a certain perspective. So either as a clinical manager with a professional background of some kind, uh, whether it be nursing, physicians or other kinds, or from a management perspective, whether it be a person with an MBA or or so on. And this is one perspective, and it's very, very hard for one individual to truly understand all the different kinds of perspectives that might exist both within the professions and between the professions about how their work should be done. So the first game really in trying to make change here, uh, being mindful of culture, is finding out how divergent the cultural perspectives are within the healthcare system and that their understanding of uh, the homogeneity of, say, for instance, a clinical way of thinking is really um, a naive assumption and it gets us into a lot of trouble. How do healthcare organizations assess their culture? You know, it's, it seems like almost a, a built-in bias against or for other groups within that system. So this is the, one of the uh, issues that we look at a lot on an organizational level. Um, culture is like many other things. It's something that uh, we try and govern within the healthcare system and trying to lever it so that we can have an impact on clinical processes mm -hmm. that improve clinical mm -hmm. uh, healthcare outcomes. So the problem with that, when we try and govern at a population-based level, is we draw upon governmental techniques, surveys, questionnaires. And these things, while initially are um, useful to get baseline data on where people's uh, attitudes and belief systems might lie, they don't give us deep insight into the practices of the behaviours associated with those value systems in the organisations themselves. And so it leads us to make erroneous assumptions about what people say 
as being related to what they do in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of my work uh, is an extension of that survey work and actually going in, observing, spending time, talking with, analysing documents, triangulating data. So I have the um, luxury of not believing anything anyone says to me. <laughs> so I triangulate lots of sources of data. It's a nice position to be in, I suppose. But before we get to some of the strategies that you use to overcome that, I mean, give us the bottom line. What's happening in healthcare outcomes because of culture? What are you seeing from the data? Where have you seen some of these things in practice? So I think the, the big issue really is about not taking it seriously in terms of understanding processes clinical processes and interprofessional clinical practice behaviours and then looking at the relationship between those and healthcare outcomes. Because we tend to move from an intervention and then doing correlations with healthcare outcome changes, particularly with complex interventions, and we make assumptions about which aspect of the complex intervention might have had the effect. Uh, And we miss all the translations, the local cultural modifications, practice behaviours, value systems at play, And so there's a big gap between system and process change, and that gap is culture. And the the culture aspect is, uh, again, what I mentioned before, it tends to be the throwaway term. So oftentimes we'll see a structural change, a systemic change, a change in the clinical pathway, a process of a clinical pathway, and then we will make a huge leap and start uh, talking about culture change when those things uh, aren't necessarily related. Structure and process and culture aren't necessarily related at all. Right, and it is kind of an elusive term to a lot of people, getting their hands around culture. Exactly, which is why I think about moving back to the basics. When when you're talking about culture, you're talking about um, understanding value systems, multiple value systems within an organisation, and you're looking at corresponding group behaviours and understanding how those things uh, fit together or how they don't fit together when we're trying to make change and improve outcomes. A survey will get you potentially belief systems, but it will not give you insight into group behaviours, intra-professionally or interprofessionally. So we need to go to the next step. And because we're dealing with large-scale organisations, system-level issues, uh, people find it logistically difficult to make that next step. How about the patient? On the pa- Is the patient a stakeholder in this culture? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, both in a in a real physical individual sense, because the providers are organising themselves around the patient, but also in a symbolic and social sense. So different healthcare professionals with different value systems and different perceptions of the kind of clinical work they carry out and the rationale for doing it construct the patient in different kinds of ways. So um, for some professionals, they construct the patient as passive and engagement, involvement is not necessarily the most desired aspect of the relationship with the patient. The healthcare professionals require active engagement and involvement with the provider. So there are different cultural aspects amongst the tribes, if you like, in terms of the way they construct, understand, and therefore act towards the patient. Is this being embraced more and more? Are you seeing it? Or is, are, there, are people coming to the table rather slowly on the change? I think the concept, or what we call in our business the discourse of patient-centeredness, is very strong throughout mm-hmm. North America at the moment. It's reflected both in the healthcare service delivery policies, uh, governmental uh, language, and also within academia, not only in North America, but the UK, Europe, and so on. I think the way that the patient is constructed 
in various different ways within those ways of talking about patients and acting on them is problematic. So we're doing some work in ICUs at the moment on patient engagement and involvement, looking through different literature. And what we're seeing is a theme of reconstructing family involvement and patient engagement, reconstructing the family as a passive patient. And Mm. so they're talking about family involvement, but in certain kinds of ways that is actually quite limited in terms of what, how much involvement a family can have in ICU care of their uh, loved one. You're listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. If you've just joined us, we're talking today to Dr. Simon Kitto, and we're discussing culture and how culture impacts education and health outcomes. So some of our listeners might be thinking to themselves, you know what, that resonates with me. I think we have a culture problem back in my office or in my practice. What are some ways they can overcome that? Any tools or things that you can provide strategies on? So there are currently a lot of moves within North America in terms of the development of toolkits that people can start to pick up and apply to their given environments. And some of the work that's happening with the Moore Foundation with my colleague Professor Scott Reeves out of formerly of UCSF and Dr. Michael Gropper, who's there as well, Peter Bronovos worked, is about developing toolkits to be able to act on your own environment. But before we get there, the issue is less about what kind of tools can I grab and techniques can I grab, but changing a way of thinking. So if we think uh, from a clinical metaphor point of view, when we do interventions in healthcare, if people can sit back and think of those interventions they've been involved in, organisational practice uh, pathway problems, interprofessional or intraprofessional problems, if they can think about it in terms of a diagnostic sense, how much time did they spend diagnosing their problem? So we have a range of interventions in the implementation science within quality improvement, PDSA work, patient safety, retrospective data analysis and so on. But before we get there, how do we diagnose our pathology? And the diagnosing the disease is often the hardest thing to do um, because it's not seen necessarily as acting on the problem. Spending time understanding something is what one of my friends in this business said to me one day, Simon, understanding is not a deliverable in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Doing things is a, is a deliverable. Mm-hmm. Intervening and changing things is a deliverable. But before we get there, if we do the diagnostic work, then the range of interventions that are out there present themselves if we understand the true nature and, and breadth of the pathology of the problem that we have. And one individual uh, doing that diagnostic work is problematic because of their inability to do a differential diagnosis. So we need an interprofessional team to diagnose what are often interprofessional problems. Valid point. So we don't get that very often. It requires a collaborative atmosphere amongst a group of individuals who need to reflect the outcome that they're trying to study and and reach in their intervention work. They need to be interprofessional themselves. They need to be consultative, collaborative, co-construct what we call co-construct the the clinical problem together and the all facets of it and once we understand where the issues are particular cultural ones then we can start to think about what kind of levers we can pull and then move to techniques that are already existing and say well this one probably this consultative process might work or this kind of educational interactive uh, role play might work and so on and so on but without the diagnosis we are doing a lot of treatments and potentially causing a lot of what your uh, listeners would be involved in seeing sometimes uh, uh, iatrogenic illnesses, and we want to avoid that if we can. Right. 
is it easier or more difficult depending on the size of the practice to change culture? There are many, many sort of approaches to the idea of cultural change that you can work at individual levels, you can work at interactive levels between individuals and professions, organisational levels. But what I can tell you, based on the professional socialisation process that many of your listeners have gone through, is that role modelling is extraordinarily powerful in healthcare. Extraordinarily powerful. So particularly in surgery, where I've done a lot of work, people who go through the residency programs will consult with their surgical instructors they were taught by throughout the rest of their careers. They form a bond, a trust, a relationship that is very, very powerful. And they will mimic that behaviour and that value system of that individual. So the role modelling aspect of cultural change can't be underestimated. And so some of the work that I've done in the past where they've asked me to come in and look at problems of interprofessional behaviour amongst junior staff, I will surreptitiously basically study the people who have asked me to go in and study the junior staff because generally the problems are found in amongst Mm -hmm. the leadership and that they are role modelling behaviours that the junior problematic staff Mm -hmm are simply just reproducing. Absolutely. Sounds like you've seen some very interesting things. Are there some resources, some directions uh, our listeners can go to that might be on a website you can recommend? In the interprofessional area, there's a National uh, Centre for IPE out of Minneapolis with Barbara Brandt. That's an excellent resource there. There are interprofessional competencies, obviously, uh, in the States and in Canada as well that are easily accessible. Simon, this has been very interesting. Any parting words for our listeners? The approach that I take in my work and the kind of message I'd like to leave behind is moving constantly towards trying to create a more sophisticated appreciation of culture within healthcare and an appreciation of a diversity and heterogeneity of uh, cultural perspectives within healthcare and that these are not just simply background issues, but are shaping factors that directly affect healthcare outcomes. And so if we take that seriously, I think we are quite adept at structural and process change in healthcare and systemic change. We have excellent intervention designs out there. I think uh, culture still remains elusive for some reason in healthcare in terms of how we capture it, how we lever it, and how we use that levering process to make decent changes in terms of good patient outcome improvement. Excellent. You'll have to come back and keep us posted on changes. I'd love to. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Simon Kitto, our guest on Lifelong Learning. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton. You can download this segment on ReachMD.com or download the podcast on your ReachMD mobile app. Thanks for joining us.